five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to talk about testing today and some other stuff. Well, let's start off with Tom Fishburn. <clears throat> okay, so today's cartoon, the AI pivot. How's the pivot going from Web3 to AI? Oops, I'm sorry. How's the pivot from Web3 to AI going? <clears throat> now, I wasn't exactly sure what this was about. I thought this might be, you know, the, the copywriter or the web designer was locked in a collar that would electrocute him if he, <laughs> if he tried to write as a human instead of a, an, an AI bot. So it was basically this, this uh, conflagration of, of human and robot because he doesn't really look right. He's got some... <clears throat> but it turns out, if you read down the article, it's a whiplash uh, illustration. And this is pain, and this is pain. But I thought maybe it was some kind of some kind of robotization <clears throat> of creative people. Okay, what a difference a year, or even a few months, makes. Last Just last January, this is Tom speaking, I drew a cartoon showing a couple marketers as legless avatars... They're down here, standing in a virtual world under a banner that reads, Welcome to our brand experience in the metaverse. One is saying to the other, I'm sure the consumers will show up any minute now. <clears throat> and that's down here a little farther. There it is. I'm sure the consumer. <laughs> I did really like that one. That one was a, a humdinger. Okay, anyway. The breathless excitement around things Web3. From NFTs to crypto blockchain to the metaverse is quieter now. But the regenerative AI hype train is full steam ahead. Regenerative AI. And I'm not sure what that means. From startups to marketers at large CPG, consumer product goods companies, to VC, the pivot to AI is whiplash inducing. So that's where the cartoon comes from even compared to the last few whiplash years. That's why I like, one of the things I like about Tom Fishburne is his cartoons are, I mean, his explanation of his cartoons is as good or better than his cartoons. I think so. Anyway, as Y Combinator alum Aaron Harris observed, we're seeing billion-dollar valuations for companies peddling products based on regenerative artificial intelligence algorithms with less than a million dollars in revenue and no pr proven business model. Just shows you how eager we are to invest in something exciting and interesting. Not long ago, the same behavior was held up as a cautionary tale about the excesses of VC over Web3. Now we have a whole new era of exuberance on our hands. But AI and Web3 are ultimately both tools not a replacement for our strategy. Last week's ANA media conference, someone asked P&G, Procter & Gamble, CMO, Mark Pritchard, who I think connected with me finally, um, <laughs> uh, how marketers should think about AI when figuring out what's hype and what's substantive. I like his response. I don't talk about the algorithms, don't talk about the technology, don't talk about AI, don't talk about or talk about the outcome you want. 
What are we trying to achieve? Absolutely right. And here are a few related cartoons. We already covered that one. Metaverse hype cycle. This could be cool. I don't understand any of it, but it will change the world and also make us rich. Why isn't anyone buying our NFTs? We've invested so much already, we might as well keep going. Do we have to have this meeting in the metaverse? <laughs> yes. I don't remember even seeing that one. <laughs> and then this one's famous. We need to stay focused on our marketing priorities and not get distracted by every shiny new look, a squirrel. That's my very favorite. <laughs> you can put that in the list every time. And here's the AI title away, but somehow that one didn't reproduce. So anyway, always good for a laugh. Tom, thank you for your insights. Uh, now let's get over to this one. This one I found as a as as a little as a post on LinkedIn. It's a little harder to read. Um, so there's no stronger argument. It says loyalty. This was interesting. Loyalty doesn't build brands. What's more loyal than addiction? You know, and when I got started in direct marketing, we used to joke about, you know, what we wanted was a, a, a relatively low priced, high margin, addictive product. <laughs> that was the best thing we could get from direct marketing so that the customers would rebuy every day and keep buying and buying and buying. Oh, hi, David. I see David Foley's on here. I'm going to talk about David in just a second. So just hang on with me, David. Okay, there's no stronger argument for the case of loyalty than those that are physiologically addictive. You know, the ideal product. No, <laughs> That, may, that may, may remind you of cannabis also. No stronger example than cigarettes or cannabis, perhaps. <clears throat> and we're not going to get into why, I know. Uh, nicotine is a drug that hooks people for decades, killing millions who just can't drop the habit. The first point is the purchase pattern of those who buy cigarettes, the most addictive legal substance on the market, as demonstrated by using an example below from John Dawes at Ehrenberg Bass Institute. Okay, so here's the here's the graph from Aaron Bass, and it's uh, and it shows the 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 number of packets purchased. So we're going to make some categorical groupings. So households that purchase 1 to 10 packets of cigarettes per year. And then those that purchase 41 to 50. And it goes all the way up to about 300. Okay, these are about 300. And guess what? It looks a lot like my frequency graph of a couple of days ago, where I showed you that the customers that that buy often, often and often, these customers, all the way down here, all this, you know, really to here, this is like a flat line to nothing, okay, those customers are always few, few and far between, and, and the digital and the, and the modeling, you know, what happened to machine learning excitement, you know, but all of that hype, was all about how we'll take your best customers and we'll do look-alike modeling. And then we'll predict where those are. And guess what happens? It evaporates. You, you, you build a model that selects like three people. And it's not even, doesn't even make sense. You know, like for in Fisherman, we did a model. We, we started by doing a look-alike, trying to pr predict the best. Well, we wanted to do an overlay for prospecting. So we, we said, well, what are the what's the best zip code in America after mailing after they'd mailed 
I don't remember what their average drop was a couple of million pieces. Let's say 2 million pieces. And what we found was that out of 2 million pieces, uh, even 2 million pieces you could mail, the 50,000 zip codes, out of that, only about 20,000 got even one piece of mail. Okay. And out of that 50,000 zip codes that you did, I mean, out of that 20,000 that you actually mailed something into, only about 2,000 had any orders whatsoever. But if you looked at the number one, and this was for Walleye Insider, in case you don't believe me. <laughs> if you, uh, I gotta, uh, I gotta, I gotta get Chris on here. Chris is retired now, so I don't know if I can get it. Chris Dieter, and she worked with us at 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 uh, in Fisherman. Yes, and lest you think this is just fooling around, I got a call one day from McKinsey and Company. <laughs> And Prime Media had bought in Fisherman. And so, uh, no, yeah, and Prime Media had hired McKinsey to go around and see if any of these publications, they bought like 800 publications. Did any of them know anything about their customers? And the only one they found, they called me up and they told me this, is the only one we found is in Fisherman. They, they can answer all our questions about customers and profiling and what they're like and everything. And we said, how is somebody in Brainerd, Minnesota, know anything about customers? You know, all the real publishers are in New York City, but these are out in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. <laughs> and they said, well, there's this guy. <laughs> so anyway, they called me, and they, and they told me the story. And anyway, um, but back to the, the point. So we looked up the number one zip code in America from this ma mailing, and we found out that one zip code had been mailed two, no, had been well mailed one mailing piece and it generated two subscriptions. <laughs> a 200% response. Can you believe it? Who says you can't get 200% response with direct mail? Anyway, but what are the chances? And it was in like Arizona, which I don't even know if they have walleyes. I think it was some, you know, snowbirder from Minnesota who <laughs> missed the walleye fishing probably missed the ice fishing. <laughs> I don't miss ice fishing. My dad used to take us ice fishing. I shiver just thinking about it. Anyway, <clears throat> and so it doesn't work. Look at, I mean, you can look at these, you know, in my book. Here's my book. Still available on Amazon. Spinning Strong of Gold. I explain that these customers love you, or in this case, are hopelessly addicted. Um, but you know, that doesn't mean you can addict all of these people. They've managed to avoid it, right? Uh, they bought your stuff. They have some interest, but not much. And this is the way it always looks. And so if you focus on these, the properties of these, those that are hopelessly addicted to your product, and try to addict more people, you will go to prison, right? And you'll go broke because it won't work. you got to figure out how to support the low end because that it doesn't generate a lot of business. The bottom 60% of your file is one-time buyers. David and I are going to work on this a little more uh, because we've been working on, he's, he's doing a, a chapter on RFM. And so I sent him a few of my videos, my very most popular videos. I have a series of three, a playlist. Uh, if you go over to my video channel and uh, they're about the most popular videos on RFM and it includes quite a bit of information on scoring <clears throat> but it gets at this thing and so bravo for this and there's a he's got another article he's got a full-length article 
Samuel Beasley or Breeley. Okay, but this was done by nope, this was done by uh oh wait, Mike Taylor, I think. No, myself. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's it's probably Samuel and Mike Taylor. So here's a link to the full article that'll be up on WDMA.org. If you are a subscriber, which is free, go over there, WDMA.org. It's easy to remember. And uh, and just hit the join button and, and you know sign up. And you'll also get information when we're having a meetup. We're having a meetup on Tuesday. And we've got a lot of really great people. We've even got some USPS people coming. I wish I could get more USPS people. So... And I have some regular viewers, so if you're a USPS person, be sure to drop in. Because we always learn stuff from the USPS. You've always got specials and you've got different things, uh, information, and I really like when you come. Anyway, so uh, what this says, summing up here, is no matter what you do, the majority of your buyers will be occasional, right? They will not be buying frequently, and therefore it's important to ensure that you are advertising and marketing, not just to the easy wins, but that you expand the pool of possible customers as broadly as you can afford to. Unlike Arthur Middleton Hughes, bless his soul, uh, who basically showed how you can segment your way to <laughs> to shrink your company to greatness. And uh, many consultants have done that. You know, my very first machine learning project was with Cabela's. And um, Cabela's, Dick Cabela, I showed Dick Cabela how he was wasting money mailing too many many catalogs. (laughs) That was such a dope in those days. But anyway... Dick said, I said, you could cut 20% of your cust- of your mailing and only lose 5% of your profitability. He said, I don't want to lose 5% of my profitability. I'd have to lay people off. He said, tell me how to grow. Don't tell me how to shrink. <laughs> yeah, bless his heart. What a genius. Okay. So businesses must start small, vacuuming up those easy wins with good segmentation that finds them using advertising and all other tools at a marketer's disposal, from pricing to distribution. But as a business grows and expands, it has no choice but to expand its target to a broader market. And those businesses that are are big must continue to do the same in the knowledge that most of their customers are light buyers. Most of their customers are light buyers, and no amount of clever consultancy bingo is going to change these outcomes. What genius here. Okay. So what you really want to know is what's the best offer to the most people, and how do you do that? With testing power. Thank you, Craig Huey. And he talks about a Magalog that he did. It's an infomercial in print. I've done a few of those and had some really banner success. So he tested cover A, 97% of men suffer from some type of prostate problem, but these amazing nutrients could help you join the 3% who live worry-free. That sounds kind of a va- Most people don't know how to handle percentages, so you've got to really watch out for using percentages in your headline. That's a tip from me. That's a tip that goes back to the Burger King one-third burger, one-third pounder. 
And everybody thought the McDonald's quarter pounder was bigger because four is bigger than three. <laughs> People don't know fractions either. Okay, so breakthrough prostate. This is the other the other test headline. Breakthrough prostate remedy taps decades of scientific research brings relief in as little as 30 days. Everybody wants a quick hit. Breakthrough sounds great. Scientific research sounds credible. The cover B was was a 79% higher response rate. Okay, 79%. And so I just wanted to show you one of my test covers because, uh, you know, it's fun. And uh, so here's my test cover. Uh, this was, I was giving out this catalog. We had big clients like Pontiac and 3M and J.I. Case and uh, I think Avon is on there someplace, Ford Motor Company, right? Uh, Caterpillar Tractor. And we were trying to make the the imprinted merchandise industry look more credible. But I'd hand it out to my friends who own companies, and I said, here, you might be interested in this. And they'd say, why would I want a Pontiac hat? I said, no, no. You can put your company name on all this stuff. Oh, yeah, we buy that stuff. Okay, here, let me see that. That's that's how it went. I probably had at least a dozen of those conversations, but it might have been 40. So I said to the creative director, well, I said to the first creative director, this is what I want to do. I want to put your logo on these logos. And he said, no, I shouldn't have told you the punchline because I was going to show you the cover and show you how indescript error or how difficult it is to even see what we were testing it just shows you the power of good creative but anyway he wouldn't do it so i actually fired him he's the only person i ever just said you are fired you're not going to run the test so i got a new creative director and so this is what we did let's see if i can get this to click yeah here it is okay so here's that original cover these are these are the two covers we tested we only printed 600,000 of them 300,000 of each I find out that printers don't do long runs anymore <laughs> most of the printers I talk to if they get 30,000 that's a big run but that's not how we did it we started this catalog launched it with 250,000 but anyway so we did a 600,000 piece test 300,000 of each and you can see if you if you squint your eyes, if you don't really look close, you can't even see. You know, if you're watching this on your phone, you can't see a difference. It looks like two identical covers. And this is these are the actual covers. These are actual magazines. This is not a mock-up of any sort. Look, there's one catalog sitting next to the other, and I took a picture of them. See how they overlap and everything. Okay, so, and what do you see? Almost nothing. But your imprint here, this one says custom embroidery. This one says your logo with a little... I think they call it a, it's, it's something like they call it a dildo, but it doesn't mean the same thing. Maybe that's the wrong term. <laughs> Some graphic designer. Tell, it's a bug. You know, they put a bug on there. Your imprint here on the coffee mug instead of the tractor. You know, your imprint on this Swiss Army knife versus Caterpillar tractor. Your imprint here. They could have said your name here someplace, but they didn't say that too much. Anyway, I think it does on some of them. Okay, so how did that do? 40%. This one won by 40%. Not only that, but we had a theory that we were testing. We had a theory that people didn't understand this cover. We didn't change one price. We didn't change one word of copy between the two. We did a perfect A-B split across, across 600,000 names. So 
This is the kind of thing that teaches you how to expand your market. What was that test worth? Millions. Millions in that mailing? Probably not quite, but certainly millions by the time we, you know, because we just kept kept doing it. And we grew from zero to 10 million in three years, which is not bad in B2B for a little company. We doubled the size of the company in three years. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart if you share this. And uh, and I did want to, uh, Dave, uh, I did want to mention that we're working on that frequency modeling stuff. And and, and he has a nonprofit that's, that's got way more multi-buyers than I'm used to seeing. So we have to dig into that a little more. I always love seeing more real data. This is all built on real data. That's the difference between this show and all the other marketing shows you might see.